just let's do them separately so everybody knows which is which. Joe works. Hello. I'm the first witch. Uh, <laughs> good to see you, Jeff and uh, and Chase. I'm not sure why you called us witches, but yes. Um, so I guess I'm the second witch. <laughs> good to see everyone today. We're in Acts chapter nine today. We're going to be looking at uh, the story of Saul, who had been persecuting the church, seeing the Lord on his way to Damascus to continue his persecutions. And uh, so let's just jump into it, guys. Uh, we left off uh, with Saul back in Acts the eighth chapter in the first verse, where Stephen had been stoned and a great persecution arose against the church. And then Luke, who is writing the book of Acts, took time to tell us about how the disciples were spread about, went into Judea and Samaria, and Philip went to Samaria. And we, we read about the preaching he did in Samaria, and then his encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch. And then Luke picks up in chapter 9 and says, But Saul, yet breathing, threatening, and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and asked of him letters to Damascus, unto the synagogues, that if he found any that were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound and bound to Jerusalem. So let's begin there. How do you want to start? <clears throat> well, how, how about this? Um, first of all, he has letters from the high priest to the synagogues. He's going to a foreign country, but, but the, the high priest in Jerusalem would have been the highest official in Judaism throughout the world at this time. And so if a synagogue in a foreign country gets a letter from the high priest, they're going to have to take that seriously. And then when this young man, Saul, shows up and he says, are there any Jews in this synagogue that believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Uh, they're mine. I'm taking a prisoner. Uh, what's, but he doesn't say they're followers of Jesus. He doesn't say that are Christians. We haven't encountered that term yet. He says that if he found any that were of what? The way. The way. Yeah. So tell me about that. Well, that was a, it seems to be a derogatory term, um, uh, as, as I'm understanding it being used uh, in the, the scriptures. Uh, perhaps um, the, the Jews making light of Jesus' statement from John 14, that he is the way, the truth, and the light. Um, and uh, so those who were following Jesus were a part of the way. Um, uh, as it's being do you think it's, do you think it's possible that in the letter that the high priest gave to Saul it did not say any of the way it said something else like heretics or followers of Jesus the Nazarene or something like that and Luke is simply giving his perspective that he was looking for those of the way so that it was not necessarily a derogatory term uh, I suppose that, that I, I don't know that I had really considered that as uh, as an option, but I can see your point. I'm just thinking, you know, Jesus back in John 14 had said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father but by me and had supposed that perhaps that gave rise amongst the disciples themselves to this language. Any who were of the way followers of Jesus, who is the way, uh, even if that were true, you could still have kind of a sarcastic kind of a thing like you're talking about where the Jews say, oh, they think they're no way. That kind of an idea. Yeah. Um, I guess the other times it's used in the book of Acts, uh, you've got Acts 19, verse 9, but when some became hardened and would not believe, they slandered the way 
uh, 19 verse 23 about that time there was a major disturbance about the way and then you get it again in chapter 24 as well as chapter yeah sorry chapter 24 two times so i guess i had never really sorry i was just gonna say i actually have only heard it joe's way i had not heard the the other idea so that, that's kind of cool to think about well interestingly in acts 19 if 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 it's not luke's own expression and I, by by his own i don't mean exclusive to you to luke but i mean if it were not the the, the phrase that's being used uh sympathetically by the disciples themselves it's interesting that in acts 19 it would be from a gentile perspective whereas in acts 8 um it would be from the high priest perspective who is a jew and that seems a little odd to me that you would have both the gentiles and the jews in jerusalem using the same terminology the way to refer to this group um i guess is, is one reason i might think that it, it really was luke's using what he believed to be an appropriate description of the disciples well and and i i guess either way oh no that was intended clever. Um, uh, you know, we're going to come across the same conversation when we get to Acts 11 with the word Christians. Um, uh, you know, the way that the, the, the manner in which it is used, try right. to speak without using the word way, um, right. the manner in which it is used uh, also leaves uh, uh, a, a question mark of, and, and it may just be the fact that some people use that to speak disparaging while the saints would embrace that. Um, uh, and so I, I guess at the end of the day, I, you've, you've uh, caused me to at least uh, rethink some of that. I appreciate that. So we go on in the text, um, and, and I'll just make this observation. He's going to, if he finds any who are of the way, he's going to bring them bound to Jerusalem, uh, them plural. So one guy going in and tying people up, plurality of people, and hauling them back to Jerusalem. He's, not well, he's got a group with him, right? He does. He's got a crew. And, yeah. and, and so we'll come back to that crew in a bit, but this will give you a little bit of insight as to why he had a crew with him. You right. need some muscle. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, let's well, pick it up. Yeah, also, maybe just, just thinking about, you know, this is not just we're going to handcuff them and, uh, you know, transport them back. Verse 1, they're breathing threats and murder. Um, uh, you know, um, this is... This is a violent action on his part. He is he is so determined to uh, destroy this Christianity. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you're really you're seeing the intensity getting turned up. Of course, in chapter three and four, Peter and John get arrested and released. Acts five, all the apostles get arrested and then released, but after getting beaten. But then you get to chapter seven, and Stephen is stoned to death. And now in chapter eight and nine, it is now spreading to the Christians themselves. And so not only is Christianity spreading, but the persecution is going from the top down, even to the common man. Yeah. And so it's really fascinating to see that these disciples, they still remain faithful. And we'll see more of that in Acts 11. You know, I hate to do this, but if I could go back to our discussion about the term the way just for a moment, um, not to beat a dead horse, maybe the horse wasn't dead. Uh, but if you think about Acts chapter 24, verse 14, where Luke, uh, Paul says, this I confess to thee that after the way which they call a sect, uh, 
I think I think that probably has some bearing on how we should understand the term the way he he seems to be using the way is is my term. They call it a sect. And of course, he's not just talking about the word sect. He's talking about their concept is like this is just like the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Here's another ease, the Jesus ease, you might think something like that. Um, but the fact that uh, he says the way which they call a sect, again, I think that leads me to the thought that this was a sympathetic term used amongst the disciples. But in any event, uh, we get back to Acts chapter 9. And um, let's pick it up in verse 3. Chase, you want to read a little bit? You know, I have just one more comment about the way. No, I'm just kidding. I don't. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> what, uh, I'm sorry. What verses did you say? Oh, I thought you were serious. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm being silly. I'm being silly. Three What's and following. Three? All right. Starting, with, yeah, starting, starting verse 3. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless. And hearing the sound, but seeing no one, Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus, and he was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. How far do you want me to go? No, that's good. That's good. Let's talk. We've got a lot to talk about right there. Um, I don't know. What What do you want to start with here? Well, I think it's kind of so, interesting to think about the persecuting the way, but then in verse 4, it's emphasis on this light that is shining and from heaven um uh, you know uh, it's not just a a light any any light the, the emphasis that this light is coming down from heaven um uh, i I'm, I'm not suggesting that this is a john 14 reference but at least helps to kind of keep that in mind uh jesus is the the light uh or john one uh, reference excuse me mm -hmm. um th this light that is shining down Mm -hmm. It's also when you think about Saul's situation, whenever God starts talking to you and you hear this, you know, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. I don't know about you, but I'd imagine Saul's next thoughts are I won't have a next step. This is it for me. Uh, and it's amazing to think about the all of the the moment of everything you've done up until this point is wrong. Like you shouldn't have been doing this. And that hits you in that moment. It's really wild to think about Saul having all those emotions right there in the middle of the road to Damascus. Is there ever a question that God asks that he doesn't already know the answer to? Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who Jesus knows the answer to that. Yeah, exactly. You know, we can just go all the way through the scriptures and, you know, the, the questions that God asks are for our reflection not for his information and knowledge. Uh, there may be an exception to that somewhere. I, it wouldn't uh, seem like there would be, but um, uh, at least as a general rule, it's helpful to notice when God is asking questions for our benefit. One of the questions that um, people ask that I, all through the years, I constantly run into uh, people being surprised when we go through Acts 9, when I make the point that Saul saw Jesus, 
because well wait i thought he was blind he couldn't see anything he just he saw light but we remember that back in acts one when they were placing when they were choosing a replacement for judas he had to be a witness of the resurrection and saul is going to become the apostle paul he's going to become a witness of the resurrection and um if we look at acts chapter 9 and we skip down to verse 27 when barnabas vouches for saul and declared to them how he had seen the lord in the way and then later on when saul himself tells the story in acts chapter 22 in verse 14 saul says uh the god of our fathers has appointed he says that ananias came to him and told him the God of our fathers has anointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one. And then in Acts 26, when Saul again is telling this story in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, he, he gives the account and says that Jesus said, Arise, stand upon your feet, for to this end have I appeared unto you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 1, Paul will make the point, he'll say, Have I not seen the Lord? So he saw Jesus. Uh, yeah, he was struck blind, but but he thus is now qualified to be a witness of the resurrection going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and in, in, in what manner he saw him? Um, uh, you know, was it through uh, a, a a vision that that he's seeing him, or through his eyes? Uh, I don't know that I could uh, determine that from the text. But but there's no question that he witnessed the the Lord uh, risen. On this occasion, but but so far as we know, Saul had never persecuted Jesus, right? I mean, right. we, we don't know that they ever had any interaction. Right. Why is Jesus taking this so personal? Um, uh, in verse four, why are you persecuting me? Yeah, well, I mean, of course, Jesus feels it when his disciples are being persecuted. I mean, we are the body of Christ, it says, right. and so Jesus feels that and. Um, I'm even thinking about to one of the churches in Revelation. I think he he says similarly. I can't remember which one off the top of my head. Maybe you two do. Nope. Okay. I'm not. I'm not saying Maybe you're not. wrong. I'm saying I don't remember. That's okay. So yeah. you all take it from here, and I might try to find yeah. that. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. So he he even emphasizes that twice. Once in verse four, and then again in verse five. You know. Um. Uh, but he identifies himself right in verse five. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Um, uh, and so, uh, now all of a sudden, you know, the, the light bulb comes on pun intended, uh, in Saul's mind, wait, what have I been doing? So this is the, this is, I think the source of our expression. Uh, somebody saw the light, um, yeah. it goes back to the story. He was, he was firmly committed in his opposition to, um the disciples of jesus in, in opposition to jesus as the messiah but when he saw the light he he, he had a change of understanding a change of perception a profound one um i guess one of the things i wanted to pick up with here is just the fact that the account here in acts 9 is fairly brief as to what jesus says to him later on in acts 26 when saul will tell this story again He'll go into more detail about how Jesus explained to him what Jesus was going to do with Saul, how he was going to use him to go and preach to the Gentiles and so on. And we can save that discussion for when we get there, unless you guys want to go there now for some reason. Here, Luke just gets to the point that Jesus says, go into the city, the city of Damascus, and it'll be told you what to do. So 
in the in the next few verses, we see Saul being led by the hand because he's blinded now, led into Damascus. He he's praying and fasting. In verse nine, it says he was three days without sight and he did neither eat nor drink. We'll read in verse um, eleven that uh, he's praying during this time and just imagine his state of mind he has been so um urgent in his opposition to jesus and now he realizes oh jesus has been raised from the dead which the the implications are that he is the christ i'm wrong i've been opposing the lord's christ and so he spends three days in blindness desperately praying when Jews fasted, it typically was for what kind of reason or what kinds of occasions, at least the ones that we especially know of in the Old Testament? Often sorrow, uh, particularly sin. Uh, the one day that was commanded for fasting was the day of atonement uh, regarding sin. So, so we have a man who's seen the Lord. He realizes he's been wrong. He is becoming obedient, doing what the Lord said, going into Damascus. He is praying. What would you have been praying for? I'd been praying, Lord, please forgive me. Uh, he is fasting, which is a manifestation of sorrow for sin on the part of the Jews. Um, you know, he's done everything that a lot of people would say you have to do to be saved, except what has he not done yet? He has not been baptized. Well, he, he's, he's not done yeah yeah he's not done what the lord uh commanded it to uh, to be done in order to to be saved and when he gets into damascus he meets this man named ananias and later on in acts chapter 22 when saul tells the story he says ananias came to him and said now why do you tarry arise and be baptized and wash away your sins meaning that even though he'd seen the lord he was praying he was fasting his sins were still with him until he was baptized you know well, something I really love out of the text, whenever you, you emphasize this well, get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. There's no argument from Saul. What do you mean what I need to do? I already saw Jesus. Um, and I know we'll draw some of those, uh, those applications later. I mean, he's completely humble at this point. Whatever he's told to do, he will do it because the Lord hasn't killed him. He's showing him mercy and grace. And so I'll do whatever I need to do you know, Paul is saying, um, in order to, to be forgiven and, and follow Jesus. Um, looks like we got a comment. Do you want to take it, Jeff? Uh, this comment question, uh, since Saul was a Pharisee, would he have been on the council that tried Jesus? Uh, that's an interesting question because we were supposing that we don't have any account of him interacting with Jesus and we don't, but we do have Jesus having been brought before the council and so then the question is well would saul have been there and i'll i'll take a shot at this right off the bat i guess it's possible but remember that in acts chapter 7 saul is described as um if i'm remembering right uh a young man in acts chapter 7 verse 58. so in acts chapter 7 verse 58 he's a young man um this when 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 Saul is, is sees the Lord on the road to Damascus, I think we often suppose just by putting things together, that's what probably around AD 39 or so. So half a dozen years, at least after the crucifixion of Jesus, 
it, it might be, if he were a young man, it might be a little unlikely that a half a dozen years earlier, he would have been a member of the council. Not every Pharisee was a member of the council, put it that way. Joe, you were going to make a point. Yeah, I think that's that's really important to, to, to note. It's kind of like the word disciple and apostle. Sometimes people mistakenly make those synonymous. Every apostle was a disciple. Not every disciple was an apostle. Uh, and so th there were Pharisees that were on the council, but not every Pharisee was, was on the council. Yeah. Uh, Paul even talks later on about how he had been born uh, out of due season, um, uh, perhaps being, uh, uh, also that he had not seen the Lord uh, in his uh, earthly walk. Now, the fact that when we get to, um, let's see, it's Acts chapter, where does he say, I, I gave my vote against them? Um, 20, that's 20, an epistle, isn't it? Three. No, I think it's here next. What did, what did you have? Uh, uh, either 22 or 23. Uh, isn't that when he's speaking to the uh, Jews? Um, uh let's see here it's in verse it's in chapter 26 verse uh 10 when they were put to death i gave my vote against them that may suggest that by the time he is actively persecuting the church he's on the council at that point uh, this is a really good question it's one that i don't think i've ever heard anybody ask whoever whoever called in or or i guess not called in but whoever sent this question in thank you for that question that's really good bottom line there were a lot a lot of pharisees there were a few who were on the council. There is some indication that Paul may have, or Saul may have been on the council at the time he's persecuting the church. The fact that he's a young man in Acts 7, and this is now some years after the crucifixion of Jesus, at least calls into question, it certainly makes it not necessary that he had been on the council back at an earlier time. It's an interesting question, interesting question. It is, and, and and tie that together. Another thing that makes that uh, uh, a very legitimate question is that not only was he a Pharisee, he was also uh, a student of Gamaliel, mm -hmm. uh, according to Acts twenty-two and verse three, which uh, you know puts us with the council as well. If he wasn't on the council, which I would tend to think he probably wasn't, he'd have had very close ties with the council. One thing, Paul is so open in acknowledging his persecution of the church um, in his epistles. Um, and he's so open in, in this passage we just mentioned in Acts chapter 26, uh, that I voted to put them to death. He, he back, His point in saying that in Acts chapter 26 is to just draw the contrast between where he was and where he is now. If he had been on the council the night that Jesus was was being tried or during Jesus' ministry on earth and he had actively opposed Jesus at that time, you would think that Paul would say that. In other words, you would think that that Paul, that Acts chapter 26 and verse 10, uh, verse 9 and 10 would read like this. I barely thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this I also did in Jerusalem. I opposed Jesus when he was brought before us in the council, and I both shut up many of the saints in prisons and so on and so on. And he doesn't say that. So I, I would be inclined to suppose we're to assume he was not. Chase? Yeah, in Galatians 1, um, he'll say, I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advance in Judaism uh, beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. So. 
I, I think there is something to be said about he, he was ahead of even those who were his contemporaries, those who were his age. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, that, that doesn't explicitly say he was a, a member of the council that put Jesus. It, it, great, it great, great question. Yeah. And, and again, you know, uh, putting all this together, I think it's 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 likely that he was at a later date, but not at the time Jesus was brought before the council. And so going back a little bit to what we were talking about right before that good question um, uh, that Jesus had not been uh, uh, baptized yet, but even as soon as he realizes that it's Jesus, you know, the first thing is in verse six is what do you want me to do? What great task, uh, you know, it's remnant of Acts 2, right? Um, uh, you know, when uh, they realized that they had crucified Jesus, but God had made him both Lord and Christ. And then, what shall we do? Uh, what do I need to do? Uh, so not only sorrow he has done, but also uh, um, a desire to do better. You know, I probably need to clarify something. We have the council convening to discuss Jesus during his ministry. But help me out here. Jesus was not actually ever brought before the council, was it? The night before he was crucified, he was brought before the high priest. He was brought before Pilate. But am I am I misremembering? Yes, you are. I think so. Uh, oh, I am misremembering. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure he was brought before the whole council, as, sort of as a, uh, just kind of crossing the T's and dotting the I's. Um, okay. Uh, in uh, uh, verse uh, Luke 22, um, uh, in um, verse 66, led him into their council. Ah, very good. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, good. Okay, good. Uh, I, the only reason why I remember that is there are, there are basically six times that Jesus is um, uh, brought before groups. Uh, you have the high priest father, the high priest, the council, Pilate, Herod, and then Pilate again. Okay, all right. And, you know, I, uh, I think the other thing that makes the book of Acts a little tricky is because of how much time is covered in the book of Acts without a whole lot of indication, uh, unless, you know, you kind of look outwardly. Because, what, we've got probably 30 years at least of history in the book of Acts. And I think that question comes from a good mindset because we would say, that the same council that tried Jesus were the ones that tried and talked to Peter and John and the apostles um, in Acts 3, 4, and 5. And so I think that could be where some of the confusion lies. Am I right about that? Well, you know, in Acts chapter 4 and 5, I think we're still pretty close in time to Jesus' crucifixion. Um, that, but that's what I'm, I'm trying to say. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, I'm just I'm just saying that. They were tried by that same council, but Saul some time had passed. So th that was a great question. And uh, we encourage you, if you have other questions, to post them. I'm not sure where that one got posted, whether it was to Facebook or whether it got sent otherwise or somehow, but it got to us. So however you can get a question to us, um, Drew's working in the background. He'll get it to us. All right. So back to the text then, back to Acts chapter 9. And let's make a little progress through this story. Have we talked about everything we feel we need to talk about through verse nine at this point? Anything we want to go back to there? No, but I guess the only thing I'll mention, we alluded to it early on in our discussion. Verse eight says, 
he saw nothing and they led him by the hand um so who's they well it's his it's his um had the word his henchmen the the, the men with him that are going to go help round up these believers and bring them in uh, you know what how are we doing on time let's just take a moment to do this real quick i don't want to spend a lot of time on it but in chapter 9 verse 7 it says the men that journeyed with him stood speechless hearing the voice but beholding no man so they heard but they did not see uh later on and i believe it is in the account in acts chapter 22 it says in verse 9 they that were with me beheld indeed the light but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me now some translations uh, don't use the word here in both instances it's the same verb in both so so you could say in one verse it says they heard and the other says they did not hear and so some people point that out as a contradiction in the bible and just to make a, a long story short luke actually uses a different case form for the word um uh, voice and in doing so he seems to be acknowledging a distinction in classical greek where one usage would mean to hear of and the other would be to give heed to and so what happened was they're aware of a sound but they're not able to make it out and really understand it uh and that's the way some translations will make make the distinction in translating okay anything else there do you want to go on to verse 10 if you want to go on to verse 10 joe take us there now there oh, were no. certain disciples uh, no i'm sorry good no you're good you sure no because you're spotty <laughs> so we've been having a yeah. discussion in the background we've been having a discussion about whether you're spotty or not your connection is a I, little erratic <laughs> yeah yeah so somebody else go ahead and read all right i'll read now now there was a certain disciple at damascus named ananias and the lord said unto him in a vision ananias and he said behold i'm here lord and the lord said unto him arise and go to the street which is called straight and inquire in the house of judas for one named saul a man of tarsus for behold he's praying and he has seen a man named ananias coming in and laying his hands on him that he might receive his sight but Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many of this man how much evil he did to your saints at Jerusalem. Here he's he has authority from the chief priest to bind all that call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, go your way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer and for my name's sake. Let's pick it up. Pause there and continue our discussion uh, on this text. Well. Ananias, of course, comes up uh, in chapter five, but it's a different Ananias. So that yeah. guy died in chapter five. So it's probably good to clear that up. But there's another disciple here named Ananias, and the Lord comes to him in a vision, and he just uses his name once. And he says to him, here I am, Lord. Ananias seems to be a really good follower of Jesus. You know, here I am, send me, is, is what comes to mind whenever I read that. But then, of course, comes the command. I want you to go talk to this guy, uh, Saul of Tarsus, and he's praying there. And, you know, I think that would be the extra encouragement. Hey, you know, he's praying to God. I, I hear him. 
But, of course, uh, Ananias has something to say in verse 13. And I personally love how Ananias handles this with Jesus. He doesn't, you know, I don't think he's disrespectful. I don't think he's saying no, but he is expressing his doubt and concern about going to someone like this. And I think all of us would. I mean, I don't really know a good pop culture reference for what Saul would have been to the Christians at that time. But, uh, man, the Christians would have known this guy's name. He would have been a bad guy. They would have known what he did, especially to Stephen and uh, countless other Christians at that point. And so Ananias tells Jesus that. Look, I know who you're talking about. I've heard about this. And in verse 13 and 14, I don't know about you guys, I don't really hear him saying no. It's almost like he's trying to inform Jesus, are you sure? Do you yeah. know what this guy has done? Mm -hmm. But, of course, the Lord says to him, go, for this man is a chosen instrument of mine. And we can talk more about that. And Ananias goes in verse 17. He obeys. So I don't think Ananias did anything wrong, personally. Have you, have you ever had to go meet somebody and if you just had an uncomfortable feeling as you were on the way? He's yes. got to head over to Straight Street, knock on the door and say, is Saul here knowing what he knows Saul about there. Saul? <laughs> That's faith. Is, is there something about the name of the street uh, that uh, should capture our attention or anything? Is there? Luke makes a point of mentioning it. Per, perhaps just, you know, it would have been something that people could identify in their day. Uh, perhaps that, you know, sometimes you have markers that show that this is not just a fable or whatever. Uh, it's a legitimate place. He, he mentions the house of Judas. Um, I don't know that this Judas is ever mentioned otherwise by Luke. I, it, so it, it could be that it, it has the same import that mentioning Judas or the house of Judas has. Um, but it, it is, I, I love it that it's mentioned. I just love the idea of go to Straight Street. Um, it, it also suggests something about what many of the streets in Damascus might have been like, not straight. <laughs> I don't yeah. I don't know. Maybe they, maybe a lot, there were a lot, and only this one was called straight, but it's interesting. And I don't know, Joe. Isn't I don't know the, if there's some further, some, some kind of symbolic significance or something like that. Jeff, isn't this the same word that gets translated immediately in Mark's gospel? Euthaos? I, I think it yeah. is. Let, let me uh, let me check that real quickly. I think it is. Because um, what I like about that, it shows that urgency as well. Um, if, if maybe immediately is that, that same idea. But. Mm -hmm. Go to immediate street? <laughs> Yeah, like um, now, like it's it's a it's a hasten, you know, yeah, go quickly. It, it, it is. It's a it's it's a related form. It's it's euthean instead of eutheos. Mark is using an adverb, um, and this is not the adverb form here, but it's it's the it's the related word. So, the cognate. All right. Uh, so. Um, Let's pick it up in verse, well, it's interesting what the Lord tells Ananias he has in mind yeah. for Saul in verse 15. It's kind of interesting to me that the Lord explains that much to Ananias. But I guess let's pick it up in verse 17. Uh, Joe, go ahead and give it a go. Read verses 17, 18, 19. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, laying hands on him, he said, 
Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. All right. Um, what do we need to notice here? Somebody would say, okay, I'll make, I'll make an argument. Verse 17, Ananias came to him and laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul. So he called him Brother Saul. Now he hasn't baptized him yet, but he called him Brother Saul. So that means he's already a, a Christian. Probably in a in a Jewish and, sense, Ananias would have meant that. And 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 by the same token, uh, Saul is going to use that term in Acts twenty two and in verse one, uh, referring to all of the Jewish population that's listening to him from his uh, stair step uh, sermon, um, and they are certainly not um, of the same. Uh, persuasion uh they they are they are not followers of the lord remember that they're wanting to have jesus killed by the end of that sermon or wanting to have saul killed by the end of that sermon you also, you also see this in other industries as well um when i was a firefighter up in pennsylvania we all called each other brother pretty often um and a lot of them weren't christians or whatever but i mean i, I call them brothers you know that, that's what we were we were a family in, in a way and, and you mentioned, Chase, a moment ago, a Jewish sense. Back in Acts chapter 2 and verse 29, Peter says to his unsaved audience, brethren, I may say unto you freely of the patriarch David, they're Jews, he's a Jew, they're part of the Jewish family, they're all descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They respond in verse 27, once they realize that the one they crucified is, is the Christ, brethren, what shall we do? And they needed to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. So I, I've had numerous times through the years, somebody kind of get confused about that because it'll say brother so-and-so. And they'll think, well, that, that must mean he's already a Christian. No, um, the Jews would refer to, to one another as brethren. And you've mentioned some ways in which even in modern culture, certain groups of people do that. All right. Anything else? Well, let's pick it up in verse uh, 19. Uh, what did you, you got us through verse 19, right? Yeah, we, we, went, we went through 19. We, we didn't talk about his baptism uh, rather briefly in verse 18. Or the scales falling from his eyes. Let's talk about his baptism. Or the scales falling from his eyes. So again, you, you referenced earlier Acts 22, where he retells this story um, with more information um uh, the the act of baptism was a washing away of his sins um and so this was something that was necessary essential uh for him and it's only after he does that that then eats in verse 19 if the eating is a sign of contrition and repentance and sorrow fasting then having done what the lord wanted him to do then he uh, eats in verse 19. And in verse 20, straightway in the synagogues, he proclaimed Jesus that he is the son of God. So immediately he goes from having been a persecutor of Jesus to proclaiming Jesus is the son of God. I think what changes this for him is 
seeing the Lord and knowing he has in fact been raised from the dead. Um, and, and so he is now proclaiming it. All that heard him were amazed and said, is not this he that in Jerusalem made havoc of them that called on his name? And he had come here for this intent that he might bring them bound before the chief priests. So that's that's the commentary on what's on what's going on with Saul. He's the guy who has been persecuting it, the believers in Jerusalem, and he'd come here to Damascus for the same purpose. Verse 22 says, But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews that dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is the Christ. What does Christ mean? Uh, the anointed one. The, the anointed. Yeah, it's the, the the from the Greek Christos, which corresponds to the Old Testament word that we say Messiah, which means the anointed one. So the Jews were all looking for an anointed one to come, the, 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 who would be their king, the descendant of David, to sit on the throne. And, and he is demonstrating that, well, it's Jesus. That's who it is. And in verse 23, that's, yeah. That's what I love. I mean, so at the end of verse 20, he's saying that Jesus is the son of God. At the end of verse 22, he's saying he's the Messiah. You need both of those ideas. I mean, he was persecuting Christians because the idea of Jesus being God's son would have been blasphemous. But the first thing he realizes, this is the son of God and he is the Messiah. Those two things are necessary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When many days, this is verse 23, when many days were fulfilled, we don't know how many days, but he spent some time. The Jews took counsel together to kill him. But if I tie tie a little bit together there real quick, Jeff, if you don't mind, Uh, think about how the tables have turned from Acts 6 and Acts 7. When Stephen was teaching, he confounded the Jews and they sought to kill Stephen, Saul, a part of that. Right. Now Stephen is confounding the Jews and uh, you're seeing then the what what he would have against Stephen. Now he's finding himself on the other side of that from verse 23. Yeah, good good contrast. Verse 24. Their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates also day and night that they might kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall, lowering him in a basket. I want to go over to Acts 26 and just look at what Saul, who becomes known as Paul later on himself, says about this. Uh, I thought it was in Acts chapter 26. Maybe it was. I'm I'm sure it was. Uh, No, it's not in Acts 26. Where is it he talks about this? What do you want? 2 Corinthians 11. Maybe it is. Uh, maybe I. Second Corinthians eleven thirty two and thirty three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Second um, Corinthians eleven thirty two and thirty three. Thank you, Joe. In Damascus, the governor under Aratus, the king, guarded the city of the Damascenes in order to take me. And through a window was I let down in a basket by the wall and escaped his hands. Um, you know there are times when. I don't know and what, how much time do we have. I'm not going to take time to do this. We've got some other things we need to move on to. Um, I'll, maybe we'll come back to this later on. But we are not to exit the meeting after. Oops. I'm, that's a programming note. <laughs> okay. All right. You know, there, there's there's other people that end up reading the things that are scrolled for them as well. But we're not going to we're not going to make any comparisons here. Um, 
Okay. <laughs> Look, I, I think you were getting ready to make a very good point that sometimes you have Saul, uh, you know, escaping, and it might look like a cowardly act, um, uh, but it certainly isn't. You have the same thing with Jesus, um, uh, where on multiple occasions uh, he would escape the crowd because his mission was complete. Um, uh, and so if he had gone to the next town and kept his mouth shut, then that would have shown a cowardly act. But like Jesus, when he passed through the midst and escaped in Nazareth and in other situations, um, uh, it's because the mission isn't complete yet. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> All right. We're out of time. We'll, we'll have to pick this up here in, in uh, Acts chapter 9 and um, about verse 26 next time. And what we're going to learn about is when Paul comes to Jerusalem and tries to join himself to the disciples there. We do want to remind you to uh, subscribe. Uh, you can like this and you'll get notifications, I think. And uh, it'll also help um, get the word out to people, help help people find this, this webcast. Uh, anything else we need to say, guys, before we sign off today? All right. Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you very much for watching Bible Quest today. And Lord willing, we'll see you next week.